check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Hello, Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom, back with another episode in our old and new summer series. If you checked out last week's episode, you got to hear a replay of my conversation with Gina from Get Lit. And she shared her very interesting story of coming out of balanced literacy because she discovered that her daughter had dyslexia. And it's a story with a wonderful happy ending. And now she continues to teach her students, her first graders, as well as help many people on her Instagram account. Today, we're going to kind of continue the conversation from last year. And we're going to talk all about sound walls, what they look like, how to use them, and how they can help your students. Welcome back, Gina. Thanks for having me again. I'm so excited to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself for the people who maybe didn't catch last week's review episode? Sure. I am a first grade teacher in a public school, and I also tutor. I am Orton Gillingham Academy trained associate working under the mentorship of a fellow letters trained, and I was balanced literacy teacher until my daughter was diagnosed with dyslexia. And it brought me down the road of evidence-based reading instruction and the science of reading. And tell us real quick about how you share that with other teachers. On my Instagram, I try to educate and advocate uh, for dyslexia. And I just do little reels and little educational posts on my Instagram account, Get Lit. So the last time you were on the podcast about a year ago, Mm -hmm. I think it was, we talked a little bit about sound walls and how it would be great to have you come back and tell us more about that. And now you have another year behind you of using sound walls with your students. So maybe we could start by helping people understand what a sound wall is. Sure. Okay. So a sound wall is, I like to use real mouth pictures. So it's a combination of a real mouth picture and the graphemes that match that sound. So there is the vowel valley, which has all the vowels on one side, and then the consonant chart is on the other side. And um, it is a visual for students, and I do explicitly teach everything on the wall throughout the school year. All right. So just for people new to sound walls, there are two parts to it. Like she said, there's the vowel valley and the consonant sound wall. The phonemes, the sounds, are usually represented by pictures of a mouth. Now, I actually listened to... I'm not going to say her last name right because it's so long and hard. <laughs> Jan Waskowitz? I don't know how to say it. I don't I apologize. know. apologize. Um, jumping in here for a quick edit. Her name is pronounced Dr. Jan Wasowitz. It's a very long name, but uh, she was with Spell Links, and I actually watched her training on sound walls, and she was not a fan of putting the mouth pictures up. So everybody's oh different. God. Just know that there's many different ways to do this. But most people, and I, I appreciate the mouth pictures, those are, those are there. That's representing the phoneme, the sound. And then when Gina mentioned grapheme, she means the letter or letters that represent the sound. So eventually, a sound wall with uh, a mouth making the sound of ch would eventually have ch and tch listed underneath because those are ways to spell the ch sound. Maybe you can tell us what research says about sound walls. There is not any research that I know of and that I can really speak to. I'm not sure if they're starting to do research, but there is research. This is more of a tool for students and for teachers to use that does have research behind it. Exactly. I think some people are kind of against sound walls because there is Mm -hmm. no research that I know of right now. There may be some being done. In fact, I think there is, but there's no published research about the use of sound walls. So we have to be careful when we talk about them. We don't want to say they're 
um, they're the, first of all, they're not the science of reading because the science of reading is research. It's not a mm -hmm. thing or a tool, mm -hmm. but we can say that it's a tool to teach the things we know or we are supposed to teach like phonemic awareness and phonics. So we know very much that phonemic awareness is very important for success in reading things like isolating, blending, segmenting, manipulating phonemes. And then of course we know that a systematic phonics instruction is also important. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about your sound wall routine and how you use it to teach phonemic awareness and phonics. Absolutely. I've seen going back to even the mouth pictures, um, I know some people aren't fans, but having first graders, I really think it's an important tool for them to have that visual. And I really got into it during COVID when we were still wearing masks. And I feel like it was very helpful. That's when it began. But so I've been, what I do is when the beginning of the school year, I put post-its over all the letters, the graphemes, and I unve unveil whatever the sound is that we are working on. So because in first grade, we start with short vowels, so I'll probably do one short vowel a week. And then my first graders are coming in already knowing their basic sounds of the alphabet. So we kind of fly through that. So I'll unveil the sound. And let's say we're doing short A. I will hold up the short A card. I use tools for reading. That's where I was trained. And that's the, the word wall and the cards that I use. Sound I'll wall. hold up the sound wall, sorry, the sound wall. <laughs> and I'll hold up their card with A on it. And all my students have a mirror. So we practice saying, ah, and we look at what our mouth's doing. We talk about what our mouth's doing. And then I'll give them words with a short A sound in there for them to repeat. And I want to know, where do you hear the short A sound? Beginning, middle, end. And I'll give them all different words. And they'll tell me where in the word they hear that sound. And they'll continue to look at the mirror to make sure their articulation and they're doing it to match the picture on the wall. Mm -hmm. So that's when you're, is that when you're teaching the spelling of, of short A as well? Yes, but I will, this can go deeper once we get into long vowels. It, I won't, I won't be teaching all the long E spellings because I teach mm -hmm. first grade. So I'll unveil it when we do maybe busy E and then all those different spellings will still be up there. So my higher readers will look at it, but I tell them not really to pay too much attention to that. And we just focus on the one spelling at a time. Okay. So you actually reveal all the spellings at once, but you just focus on one. Right. right. Yes. Because I'm not going to cut that little post-it up and try to <laughs> make it harder. And when it is helpful to, in the, my second half of first grade, now my students are encountering more of these patterns. So they'll look on this. I see them look on the sound wall all the time and they'll look at the pattern that they're trying to figure out. And they'll look at the mouth picture and the other, they'll figure out on their own, like, oh, that's a long E. I should try the long E sound for this word. So it is helpful for them when they're trying to decode on their own. Well, it's interesting, too, because um, I watched a live presentation with Wiley Blevins at the Wisconsin Reading League conference last mm -hmm. fall, and he actually said that he doesn't like it when people are covering up everything um, okay. before they teach it because there's advanced kids or mm -hmm. kids who are more farther along that could use that information. So I think I think. I think it has to be balanced for teachers, right? Like you don't having the whole wall open at once can be very overwhelming, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we don't want to block information from kids. So it's probably just a trial and error kind of thing. 
It is. That's really interesting. And it is what works in your classroom. And I feel there are some people that think they like to put even words under there to, instead of using a word wall, they move now their words and put them up on their sound wall as they go. So it's whatever really works for your classroom and your students. And I think it depends on, you know, what grade you're teaching as well. So what you're saying is that um, some sound walls have the, the phoneme pictured by the mouth and then underneath it, they reveal the graphemes in isolation, right? So if you're teaching the sound of E and the spellings of E, then you might have just the letter E, the letters EE, letters EA. Mm -hmm. But the other option is to have an actual keyword with maybe those letters highlighted or in a different color or underlined. Um, So two different ways. I know Tools for Reading does the individual graphemes and not Mm -hmm. actual words. Um, So there's lots of different ways to do it. Mm -hmm. Maybe, so that's how you introduce a new spelling by having them practice the sound. Tell us more about how your students use the wall. So they will use the wall for both spelling and reading. Uh, I get really excited. Last year, I had a parent send me an email because she said, my daughter's in the mirror right now. Because, you know, what's great about the wall and the mirrors and really diving deeper then into the sounds and the articulation is a lot of students will spell train with instead of T-R, it might be C-H-R or J-R. So I teach them, look in the mirror, what is our mouth doing? And they will even start doing it at home. They'll pay attention. I don't remember which sound it is because a lot of our sounds are very similar in how we articulate them. It's just a matter if they're voiced or not. So my students will use it to self-correct, to help with if they see a spelling pattern they don't know or when they need to spell to remember. So maybe can you give us another, like a very specific example of a child trying to read or spell a particular word and then how the sound wall would help? Sure. So um, short I and short E are very, are very easily confused by students. And if you start with short E, if you say, eh, eh, it's just a slight movement in their mouth. So a word like let's do pen. Um, If a student is trying to figure out if it's short E or short I, my student would grab a mirror go up to the wall, look at where, if they're trying to say pin or pen, look at which sound they want and try to make sure they're matching their mouth in the mirror to the sound, to the picture on the wall. Mm-hmm. And we're and when I do teach it, we talk about the vowel valley, which I don't know if you, the way it is set up mm-hmm. is helpful mm-hmm. for them as well. Sure. The vowel valley has to do with how open your mouth is. So mm-hmm. it's shaped like a V and like a valley. So, um, and I'll provide links to my blog post about the sound wall in the show notes, but talks about how um, you can actually have your students say all the sounds with you as you go down the wall and go up the wall and notice in a mirror how their mouth is getting more open. You could also, there's other things you can do. I've heard where you have kids see like how much of their finger can fit between their teeth when they're saying Mm -hmm. certain sounds. And then how, as you move down the wall, more of your finger can fit and that can help them just, Um, think more about the distinction between those vowel sounds, Mm -hmm. which are very close. Do you find that, what about your students that are more natural at reading and writing? Do they use the sound wall very much or is this really more a tool for kids who are struggling? Uh, They use, you know what, actually my high readers really were interested in the sound wall this year. I had the schwa covered up because we really don't get too much into that and they were begging me. Like, we want to know what the banana sound is, because it's awesome. There is also a picture that matches besides the the picture of the mouth. There's also a, 
a visual of a picture. So that it was a banana. So it actually was fun for them. They liked learning that and they liked, you know, they're reading words that would have the sound in it for Mm -hmm. like treasure. So Mm -hmm. it was helpful for them for words that they were encountering and they picked up on using it, how to use it really quickly. And at times they would even ask if they can look under a post-it and I would, yeah, they could run up there. And, yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's not in hiding. It's not secretive. It's just to, like you said, not to me overwhelm all the whole class. Sure. So, um, what is your feeling on teaching kids the words, the big words that are connected with the sound? Well, like fricative, stop, affricate. Do you think that's? Have you tried it? Not tried I, it? Yes, I do use the words. I'm not expecting them to to use those words with me. I'm not expecting them to know it either. I don't, I personally don't know if there is any research or anything that says that that helps kids when learning sounds. I'll use it because my consonant chart is set up with tongue placement and then airflow. So I'll say, okay, this is a stop. That means we can't hold that sound. So I use it as an instruction when I'm doing the explicit instruction, but I don't know if it really, they love learning nasals for instance, because we all mm-hmm. plug our nose mm-hmm. when we're doing mm-hmm. the nasals. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's a nasal, but getting them to say fricative and know that is tricky. Plus, whenever I say that in my classroom, they all start cracking up. They think I'm saying a bad word. When I oh. say fricative, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I go, no. that just means there's friction. And then I got to explain what friction is. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know there's, there's some people that really love teaching it. And this mm-hmm. is all just from basically what I read in Facebook groups. I don't think there's any research at all on this, but just they like teaching it um, because their kids like the big words. And then there's plenty of other people who are concerned that you're filling their brain up with something that's not useful and you should make Mm -hmm. space in their working memory for what they really need and you're wasting time. So again, it's, it's really got to be just what a teacher feels um, best fits their class. But I would definitely want to say that that's not necessary (laughs) for kids to know those big words. No, no, they're still learning it. It's just a matter of, to me, instruction might as well say the word, but I'm not expecting sure. them to to know it on their own. Yeah, no, I agree. What would you say might be some challenges with using a sound wall or, or things to avoid? Uh, I think, like you said, um, with overloading them, working memory, doing, giving them too much at once, like trying to mm-hmm. do a bunch of sounds at once uh, because you're trying to fly through it or catch up. Uh, giving them sounds before they're ready. Mm-hmm. I've noticed, you know, some kids, it, it's, it is still overwhelming for them. It is still a lot to, okay, now we're doing long, e, now we're doing long A all in one week. It really, you have to be very prescriptive about it, I guess, to your class, to your students. Maybe it's more of a small group thing that teachers can do if they feel like their class is too, uh, wide span of they have their struggling readers all the way up to very high readers. Maybe it's too much to do whole group instruction and they could do it more small group and really hone in on to what their student needs and how much they need of it. Well, and wouldn't you say that the sound wall lessons are coinciding with your phonics lessons, right? Oh, yes. Yes. So then if you're teaching whole class phonics, then it would be probably whole class. But if you're teaching new skills in small groups, then then it would Mm -hmm. be the tricky part with that, I would think would be when you're teaching phonics in small groups, which I'm all for if that's what needs to be done, um, mm-hmm. then you have different parts of the wall revealed for different groups. Have you right. run into that being an issue or a challenge for you? For your no, class? you know what? I, I've 
gone through with what to do with the sound wall, even with my tutoring kids, more one-on-one. And there are pictures that um, I think printables that you can get of a sound wall. So I would just have my students have an, their own little individual oh, sound yeah. wall in a binder or in a page projector and just do it more that way than mm-hmm. having the visual up on my wall. Because that is a question I get a lot on my um, social media, my Instagram, is I don't have that kind of wall space. If you see a picture of mine, I it is taking up a lot of real estate. And mm-hmm. I still, mm-hmm. with my district, I am required to have a word wall as well. So okay. people are asking, how do you how do you find the space? So I said, well, you got then find an individual one for each student or a smaller printable one that you could just have at your desk. And it might not have the mouth pictures, but it's better than having nothing. Mm-hmm. It's a reference for students. It's a, yeah. So that that's interesting that you're required to use a word wall. I know mm-hmm. nowadays there's like a million conversations out there, mm-hmm. articles and everything about take down your word wall, put up a sound wall. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that you can still make use of a word wall and, or is it just a compliance thing? Um, it, I am still making use of it because if, if it's going to be up, I want my, I want it to have a reason. So the way I actually adjusted mm-hmm. it, I asked for permission. They said, it's fine. As long as I have my word wall up, I don't need to have the word coffins, like the shapes of the words. Yes. Oh, yes. Yep. <laughs> so because now that we know we don't visually memorize words, we don't need to do it like that. So I am creating, it's my summer project. I started doing it throughout the year is sound boxes and putting those words in sound boxes. And if they're irregular, hmm. I put the heart part, the heart oh, yeah. on there for the irregular words. And I added digraphs because the, my biggest okay. aha yeah. for when I started studying about the sound wall was, okay, so our students are trying to find the word there and how to spell there. What sound on ABC, on the alphabet mm-hmm. starts with nothing on mm-hmm. our word mm-hmm. wall? Mm-hmm. It, there's a T. How do they know it's a T? T, t- says T. So mm-hmm. that was one of my big aha moments, plus knowing we don't need to memorize the word shape and the word coffins. So I added digraphs to my word wall and I'm changing all my words that I'm required to have into sound boxes. Oh yeah. Tell me what you mean by sound boxes. So every, so if the word is, let's do chat. Chat mm-hmm. has, let's, if you segment it, it has three sounds. Oh yeah. Sure. So then I'll have the CH in a box, the A in a box and the T in the box. Cause I do a lot of word mapping yeah. in my small group. So my students are used to seeing that. Yeah, that's really smart. Of course, I know what sandboxes are. I'm not sure why I was brain freezing there, but I had never thought of doing that for us a word wall. That's really cool. And um, of course, doing the digraphs makes perfect sense. I don't know why that never <laughs> came to my mind. <laughs> How do you choose what words you put up there? Uh, it's the words that were required to. I think they're the Dolch list. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so okay. that's what my district wants up. And that's fine. Like I said, if I'm as long as I can alter it to make sense to my students and how I'm teaching those words, then, yeah. then let's, let's give this a try again. This is, I'm just coming up with this on my own. So we'll see how that works next year. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you about that after that, because I mean, that makes perfect sense if you're, when you're teaching the words explicitly and showing them mm-hmm. why you spell each part, the way you spell it, having it as a reference can be perfectly fine. I think the issue with word walls so much was that it was supposed to be like a memorization piece. Right. Yeah. And then also, like you said, it was so hard to find some of those irregular words because of how mm-hmm. they started. Um, anything else that you'd like to share about sound walls, maybe questions that people ask you on Instagram, commonly asked questions that you could answer for us? Yes. A lot 
of questions are how do I use it? I think we covered a lot of them, you know, mm-hmm. um, how do how my what my instruction looks like. I do believe that mm-hmm. with the sound while having a mirror available to your students is very important for them to make sure they're looking at their mouth themselves. So there is a mirror set up by my sound wall so that my students can walk up and check self-check on their own. Uh, mm-hmm. Another question is the real estate available in the classroom or in a reading specialist or interventionist office. Uh, Tools for Reading, who I took their course and whose materials I use, do have posters too. I don't know if I mentioned okay. that. So it's a poster with the real mouth pictures. Mm-hmm. So I actually have those in my basement where I tutor for my tutoring students. Um, using the other question, do we really need to say African fricative, stop, nasal? Again, like I said, mm-hmm. not, I, I don't know if you really have to hone it in and have your students repeat those words to you, but use them for instruction. And um, what was the other one? I just think it's, it's, I've seen huge gains with it, with my first graders with just confusion of sounds. This sure. is such a big age when they're coming in and they're spelling and we're overload not overloading, but their memory is becoming very loaded with this sound this week, this spelling. Now we're adding another spelling for the same sound and it it sounds so sim- similar to this sound and their little mouths without their teeth and everything else that's going on. <laughs> they're growing, trying to um, figure it out. The sound well really has made big improvements in my classroom. And I really see my students using it daily. That is wonderful to hear. And I'm going to, in the show notes for this episode, I'm going to share a free um, Soundwell lesson. I don't at Mm. this time have a full set of lessons, but it's basically a template that somebody could follow to create their own. Also, if you would buy tools for reading, I'm I'm assuming lessons are included with that. Yes, they have a manual. Also, um, Gina mentioned the tools for reading training, which I have taken as well for Soundwells. We'll provide a link to that so you can check that out. And then also uh, I'll provide a link to Gina's Instagram where you can find her. And also she's got a special way where you could set up a consult call because anyone who runs an Instagram account knows how hard it is to keep up with all those messages. (laughs) I let so many go. It makes me feel really bad, but I just, um, they just kind of float away and I lose them if I can't answer them in the moment. (laughs) And so that would be a way to really pick her brain and get some really good answers. So Thanks so much, Gina, for joining us. I always like talking to you. Oh, me too. Thank you again for having me. I was so excited to come back. You can find the show notes for today's episode at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 128. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.